You're listening to Soundwise Podcast, a show hosted by Alex in Serbia and Vlada in Poland. Each week we cover a different artist or band and engage in an open and spontaneous debate and discussion about specific parts of their discographies. Our goal is to expand our musical horizons and cover a great range of artists and styles. Find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash soundwisepod and social media at soundwisepod. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Soundrise Podcast. Hello Alexander, how are you doing today? Hi Vlad, I'm doing pretty well and I'm really happy to announce some good news for the podcast. Something that our listeners will probably notice right away. I've got some new equipment, a new microphone, so I'm happy to announce a new podcasting era, Vlada. Great to hear and thank you so much for your support, dear listeners. That allows us to improve the quality of our podcast and we want to thrive to be even better in the future. So we are open to any help and also any suggestions that you may have for us. So check us out on Patreon, but also check out our social media pages as well. So without further ado, let's get down to business. Today, we decided to cover a more modern artist for a change because the last couple of times we covered a lot of classics, but now we want to talk about a very exciting young artist. So Alexander, who are we talking about today? Yep, as you said, it's a more modern artist. That's what I wanted to do because we've been talking a lot about those, uh, let's say, older acts. So today we're talking about Michael Kiwanuka. I was the one that chose that artist. And the reason why I wanted to cover Michael today is, one, because he is a friend and also collaborated with Danger Mouse, a guy that we mentioned before on the podcast, one of the founding members of Broken Bells, uh, Norris Barkley, and also a well-known producer. And uh, Michael Kiwanuku has, has kind of been circulating around the internet as a young promising talent. He's been he's been mentioned on my social media a lot, so I wanted to kind of uh, explore him. And he was kind of a mystery because a couple of years ago, I heard just one song from him. I think it was on a Norwegian radio station. So um, I didn't quite know what to expect here. But let's first share a couple of info about him. So Michael Kiwanuka, currently 33 years of age, a young man from London, born and raised in London, but he is of Ugandan descent. Before he started his uh, solo career, he had been first a uh, session guitarist. And uh, later on, when he started soloing, he was first known as a um, support for Adele's concerts. So he supported her at some of her concerts. And in, t- in 2011, he signed a deal with uh, Polydor Records, which is also the record label that he still releases albums under. His first album came to the scene in 2012 called Home Again. And it right away received a lot of praises and a lot of good ratings. So far, he has released three albums, and we're going to discuss all of them today. Michael Kiwanuka is very known for stating his identity and trying to kind of explain how it is 
to be proud of yourself, to uh, find your place in the society, to accept yourself for who you are. And his lyricism is pretty much about those issues and about those feelings, which we will see in a minute. Some of his major influences are Otis Redding, Ray Charles, Bob Dylan, the band, Funkadelic, so some really, really good and famous names there, Vlad. I'm sure you, you'll love some of them, or maybe all of them. All of them. All of them, right. So that's that's some good influence catalog. In 2016, he released Eleven Hate, uh, which is also a very well-rated album, even better than, than Home Again. And in, in 2019, he released his self-titled album, Kiwanuka, which we will also discuss. So, um, yeah, he is known for being a promising young talent, as we stated. And, and now let's go straight to the Rainix Mada, his debut album, Home Again, from 2012. What did you think of that record? All right. So I have to say that I was familiar with Michael even prior to the decision you made to cover him in our show. But I have to say, I never actually listened to the entire records of his work. So this was very nice to be able to actually experience his songwriting and his musicianship in its full glory. So this first record, for example, I wasn't familiar with any of the tracks, to be fair. And right from the get-go, I really liked his style here. Uh, it's very retro, though. This record reminds me of the stuff that was recorded in let's say some period between 66 and 69 by a lot of different soul artists, but it also kind of delves into the folk territory as well. You know, you can hear some of the things that might remind you of uh, the likes of Nick Drake or the likes of Van Morrison. And I really like that too. So right from the get go, he proves to be a very versatile musician that obviously knows his music, you know, that has a knowledge, that has, that, that knows how to use other people's ideas as well. And the first track, Tell Me a Tale, is a wonderful display of this. Such a, such a great track, a beautiful arrangement with flutes and the horns, very powerful vocals, and, and a really, really catchy tune that kind of hits you straight from the get-go. But then I'm getting ready... Also good track. However, I have to say that I kind of lost interest a bit near the midway through the record. And I'm not sure if it's because the quality of the record suddenly dropped or perhaps it's just because a lot of this stuff sounds very uniform. And, and also, like here, it's obvious that it's his first record, no matter how skilled of a musician he was at this point, it's obviously his first record, and he didn't take a lot of chances, in my opinion. The reason why I think the first track, Tell Me a Tale, kind of stands out is that it seems like he took more chances on that one. But that's just my personal impression. I feel like I would have to spend more time with this album because if it seems to be a, a very subtle piece of work, not something that you necessarily immediately get. However, I cannot praise enough the musicianship and the arrangements. Some of the arrangements are mind-blowingly good. So, yeah, this is a nice beginning. Obviously, he got noticed for this one for good reason. Alexander, what are your thoughts? Kind of similar, uh, even though I'm 
a bit more positive about this record. I thought that this record was really enjoyable right from the get-go and also from start to finish. Uh, after giving it a couple of listens, I was really pleased. I didn't think that it was that, that it sounded kind of uniformed or bland. I enjoyed almost every track here, but obviously Tell Me A Tale is a highlight here. Could be my favorite track here, I don't know. Home Again is the first track that I ever heard from him a couple of years ago. And it's also one of the standouts. Standouts. It's also a single. It, it was also released as a single uh, back in the day. I really like his singing style. It's so unique. I'm not sure if... Okay, let me ask you a question about it. Does his singing style remind you of any of the aforementioned soul artists? Oh, that's a good question, to be fair. Um, trying to think. I mean, it's kind of hard to pinpoint one, but he was obviously influenced by the great soul singers of the 60s. Otis Redding, to a certain extent, even though you don't really notice that, maybe people like James Carr. Uh, Bill Wither, maybe him. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. But he does have that kind of style. He he would fit right in with all those 60s and 70s soul singers without any problems. A very strong soul voice. I don't think he necessarily copies anyone. I think he's he has his own thing going, but he would fit right in with those people. Yes, uh, sorry, I made a little mistake. It's Bill Withers. Yeah, so uh, because some of the music critics that rated this album listed that he actually reminds them of some 70s soul artists. So that, that's really interesting. But back to Michael, great lyricism. Some of the songs I can really relate to, they really you know, strike me as emotional, which is also the case with his other records. But to be honest, this album is actually my highlight today. So uh, yeah, the musicianship as well. You said it's really good. I like the atmosphere. I like the vintage vibe. And I also like the album cover here, which is also kind of retro, so to say. So uh, any final words for this album? Yeah, this record is very retro. It's kind of uh, this typical neo-soul record that really relies heavily on the 60s soul music, but not just soul music. I think 60s overall folk music as well. As I said, Van Morrison, I can hear echoes of Van Morrison, of even Nick Drake. And as such, it's a really good debut record. Maybe not the most exciting one, but I think that if you love good soulful singing, you'll find a lot to love here. And of course, the musicianship is great right from the start. And we'll touch more upon it with subsequent records where I think all of that was taken to another level compared to this one. So my final rating here, the best track is Tell Me a Tale. And my final rating would be, I'm really torn about this because I feel like I have to spend more time with this record. So I can't give it a very high rating, but I guess seven would cover it. Seven is all right. So a really nice debut record, but I think I'm more excited about the other two records that we're going to talk about. Okay, fair enough. Lada. Before I give my rating, I want to ask you one question. If you stumble upon a guy or a girl that says to you, hey, Vlada, I'm a big fan of Otis Redding or Stevie Wonder or Ray Charles, would you recommend them to get this record and listen to it? 
Uh, I definitely would. Even though I have to say, though, this, while it does imitate some of these 60s stylings, it doesn't necessarily sound like these people's records, you know, especially because of the infusion of those other influences that I think he got somewhere else. And as you mentioned, he seems to have a lot of diverse influences, and this record shows that. So I would definitely recommend it, but I wouldn't tell people to expect this to sound like some kind of new, I don't know, Otis, uh, new Otis Redding or new uh, Ray Charles or new Stevie Wonder. I think he's honestly doing his own thing here, even though this record may not be the height of originality as far as new ideas are concerned. That's a good answer, man. Okay, so my rating is slightly higher. Um, I'm kind of the, uh, torn between 8 and 8.5. I really enjoyed the record, but I have to say that I'm not really a casual listener of soul music. I love Stevie Wonder. I even have a poster of him in my room. But other than that, I just listen to bits of soul music from time to time. Uh, so I would also need to spend more time with this record. So let's go with eight, eight out of ten. And the highlight here, the highlight here is, I would also say the first track. But let's go with Home Again instead, the title track, Vlada. All right. So moving on to 2016, Love and Hate, uh, the big one, actually, uh, the one that has a very well-known first track. So Vlada. You just said that you're more exci excited about the, sub the subse subsequent records. So let me hear your thoughts about Love and Hate. Okay, so first I have to say that this record starts off with a song that I was very familiar with, Cold Little Heart. And I used to watch this show on HBO, uh, Big Little Lies, uh, with Nicole Kidman and uh, other famous actors and and the, the opening song was actually called Little Heart. And it was perfect. It perfectly captured the atmosphere of that show, which is all about love games and intrigues and um, had that kind of melancholy feel that you also see in the show. So I, I love that. And I uh, got to say, hearing this song here on the record, though, is a whole different experience because it's 10 minutes long. Right. When you watch the show, you just hear a bit of the song, his vocals and so on. But actually, his vocals only kick in at the five minute mark. So the first five minutes of the track are all instrumental. And there are all these edited versions. I think the video, the official video also has a shortened version. The show has a shortened version. So this was the first time I actually listened to the whole tune. And I was really blown away. And I'll tell you what, I was particularly blown away. His guitar skills. So that, that's something that, okay, I noticed on the first record that the playing was great and everything. But here, he really flashes that out. You know, the solos are so gritty and like the sound, the guitar sound is so fat. I just love it. And no wonder he was a very successful session musician prior to uh, starting out as a solo artist. You just just love that fat guitar sound. And then again, another great thing about this song is how how they use backing vocals. Uh, it just it it produces this very unique melancholic feeling that I think I haven't really heard it anywhere else. I think it's it's truly special. So when you hear this song, you may like it or not. 
but there's no denying this is one of those songs that are so easily etched into your brain, you know? Yeah. Because of there's that little hook that they do with backing vocals. And now when you hear this version, beautiful guitar solos, and then it goes into his vocals, you know, after five minutes of being sort of uh, hyped up by a very nice buildup. At times, I even thought that his guitar kind of reminded me of David Gilmour from Pink Floyd, even though that might not be the first comparison that comes to mind. But it had that kind of subtlety about it. And then his vocals, of course, are uh, great too. Very strong, very, very powerful, coming in right on the money, you know, great track. And But then the rest of the record. Okay, the rest of the record, I'm a bit let down by it to be honest after such a great opening track not that the rest of the tunes are worse by uh, i mean they are worse but not that they are bad by any measure it's just that they don't have that kind of that kind of oomph they're sort of sometimes it even feels like they're too again too similar to each other even though he's sort of i think made a step forward compared to the previous record especially in a sense of choosing a more interesting, more intriguing arrangements for the songs. While the first record was a very retro-sounding record, this one has retro elements, but it's also very modern, very exciting. Love the musicianship again. Love and Hate, the title track, I think is another track that I would single out, but not quite as good as Cold Little Heart. So a very consistent record, but I have to say I was a bit let down after the great first track, not because the other songs are bad, but just because that first track is so good. What are your thoughts? Okay, well, a similar thoughts here. Um, again, I'm a bit more positive. He has some really good tracks here, like Black Man in, in a White World, which is obviously about his struggles uh, being a black man in a in a world that doesn't, that unfortunately still makes an issue of, of one's race, which is really sad, but uh, he kind of wants to send that message. And, uh, you know, I, I really like that. Um, yes, his guitar is very underrated. And also, also, I have to highlight here his backing vocals. You just mentioned it. I think that's an underrated part of his output. I really love that. And it it, it, it is just so good at creating a, a, an atmosphere of Latin. Uh, instrument, instrumentally speaking, the whole record to me is not better than, than the previous one, but the guitar kind of saves the day. And towards the end of towards the end of the record, you can hear some really good instrumental arrangements, uh, like the final frame and so on. Love and Hate, the title track, is famous for being featured in uh, numerous television series. So um, definitely, you know, this this record is is a commercial success, uh, no doubt about that. But I just don't feel like it's better than the previous one for some reason. I don't have anything to add regarding the first track, but I call it hard. It's really good, but yeah, I, I don't get. I, I didn't get really lost during the record, but I just wasn't as as impressed as I was with Chrome again with the exception of a couple of tunes like Love and Hate, Black Men in a, in a White World, and obviously Kovila Heart. But, uh, Is it bad if I admit something to our listeners? While I was listening to this, I kind of drifted off and fell asleep somewhere. 
midway through the record? Oh, I think, I don't know. I think that we should now expect, if we have some Michael Kimonuka fans here, we should expect some harsh words, Vlada, right? I mean, I still have a lot of praise for the record, but truth to be told, he's not that easy to listen to sometimes because, again, uh, the songs seem to be too similar. Maybe you need to spend more time with these records, not just the first one, but this one too. Because these are very subtle records. They're not necessarily trying to be upbeat. They're not trying to to capture your attention straight from the start. This is not a pop record, right? I mean, you can say it's a pop record, but it's 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 a very intelligent brand of pop. You know, I think that a lot of attention went to detail here. You know, the arrangements, the guitar sound. And you know, another thing that I really like about him is that He's not afraid to have a very spectacular coda of the song. You know, at the end of the song, he goes into some beautiful guitar solo or he adds some other stuff to to the coda, like some interesting uh, keyboards. And if you look at the credits for these records, he actually plays the vast majority of instruments. So imagine this guy is just a phenomenal musician. By all accounts. Now, the only question here is whether you can buy into this music or not. But there's no question about the quality of the music overall. Okay. You you address the music. I want to ask you about his songwriting skills and the lyrical content here. Because I think he's really good at writing both love songs and songs about uh, racial injustice and stuff. I'll Never Love, for example, is a song about... I think it's about failing to find true love and uh, I mentioned the other songs that I like so Vlada what do you think of Michael's songwriting oh well you know what I think like I was looking at some lyrics while listening to these tunes and uh, to me he seems very straightforward but there there's probably more to it than meets the eye you know like the lyrics are kind of straightforward sometimes he sings about his own doubts uh, in regards to relationships and his love problems and so on. But sometimes there's more to it, I feel, beneath the surface. And uh, it's he's not one of those people who tends to use a lot of strange combinations of words that you need to spend, I don't know, hours and hours trying to decipher. He's very direct, for better or worse. But I think that that suits the music. That kind of style of songwriting really suits the music here. All right, fair enough. Okay, so I think we covered everything about this record. Let's get straight to the ratings and the highlights. So my highlight here in terms of songs is I'll Never Love. I'll pick that one. And my rating is uh, 7.5, Lada. Back to you. Same rating, 7.5, an improvement over the last record, mainly because I think this record bears more personality. It's not necessarily pastiche like the first record. It sounds a lot like the old records from the 60s. This one has a a modern touch to it, but it doesn't lose its soul. It doesn't lose its organic feel. Wonderful guitar playing, which is definitely a plus a great opening track. You, you might say an epic opening track in this case. 
and it's only a shame that other tracks do not really live up to it. But that cannot be a bad thing, you know, because, you know, you have to write a track like this in order for somebody to say something like what I just said, you know. So uh, definitely a huge success in my book. So, yeah, wonderful musician, but I wouldn't give it a higher rating. Maybe not just yet. I think I need to spend more time with this music. I'm not quite sure if it's my cup of tea necessarily. Some stuff is, especially his guitar sound. Uh, some of the tunes as well, but sometimes I find it difficult to listen to him for a longer time. So yeah, the best tra- uh, the best track here, uh, Cold Little Heart. So let's move on to 2019, his latest record. First, before we start start talking about the record, I have to read an interesting sentence from a, from an uh, enemy article. It is interesting because it is in one way related to our podcast. So, as I said, it is an enemy article. It is about this record. And the first sentence here is, it is obviously describing who Michael Kimonoka is. is. He is the London singer-songwriter once lumped alongside the inoffensive likes of Mumford and Sons. <laughs> What do you think about that, Lana? But I totally get it. I totally get why he was lumped with Mumford and Sons because his first record doesn't have any edge to it, so to say. You know, it's kind of a pastiche record. So it's something that you may like or not, but it's nothing exciting. It's not like he burst out on the scene with his highly unusual original style, you know. So maybe, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily compare him to Mumford's because I feel like I feel like he's a much better musician than those guys but I totally get that comparison from a certain perspective he is way better than Mumford and Sons than anything if you ask me <laughs> all right so okay regarding this record I watched a bit uh, of an interview where he kind of talked about it uh, he also talked about the idea behind this record so he wanted to um, name this record after himself because his intentions were to kind of make a record that's about him but also where he addresses himself as an individual and his identity and everything that's kind of related to him as a person but he also wanted to make it easy for the listener to connect with it and he just said you know I, I want one word, one word is enough to make a strong statement. And this is all about me, my identity, my race. But not just that. He he also talks about his strange music taste. Like when he was growing up, he was into rock and roll, but then he developed his taste in jazz, soul, and, and, and other genres. So he wanted to blend that in and make a record that kind of describes that. So, yeah, that's that's the idea behind this record. I like the album cover here. I think it's a painting of him. And uh, I want to ask you, Vlada, what do you think of his latest release from last year? Oh, well, this one, I feel, while it doesn't have such a strong track, like Cold Little Heart, I think is even better than the previous record. And maybe it's because it, it fits my kind of... Well, I, I can say it fits my taste a bit better, at least. It's more rock-oriented album, for starters. It has a lot of great, you you could argue, kind of uh, Jimi Hendrix-esque guitar work. 
or uh, maybe you know it, it reminds you a bit of the psychedelic funk and soul from the 70s but also he continues his evolution i i feel uh, he adds more elements and his style is more more pronounced here than on the previous records and i thoroughly enjoyed listening to this from start to finish again he has those really cool neat instrumental parts where he comes up with some a little keyboard interlude to make the segue into the next tune uh, even more exciting a lot of great guitar solos again a lot of great riffs here so um, for example rolling and uh, rolling and i think i've been dazed have some amazing guitar playing and riffs you ain't the problem is a nice opening track too but i i really got into the record with the second track rolling that really bought me uh, when i heard that riff it was very groovy right yeah very groovy and um some wonderful tunes near the end too uh, solid ground light final days especially cool when he stretched stretches the tunes out a bit like in hard to say goodbye for example because there's so much he can do with the song's coda as i previously mentioned and this this is even more exemplified, I think, on this record. So uh, I think he should definitely take more chances like that because that works in his favor when he starts a neat little solo. And he's not one of those players that just want to show off. You know, he's very talented at building up the instrumental section. So, yeah, a very positive impression and i think i will definitely listen to this one a few more times because it still hasn't quite settled in so what do you think well i mostly agree with you even though uh, i have some maybe gripes with the record and maybe i just need more time for it again guys i'm not really a, a soul fan by the way i really wonder uh, dear listeners if there is someone you know there that likes soul music please Get back to us and kind of tell us what you think about Michael Kiwanuka as a soul artist. Yeah. So regarding this record, I really liked the grooves. I also forgot to mention that this record was produced by Danger Mouse, as was the previous record, uh, Love and Hate. So whenever he produces a record, it sounds really good. And the rhythm section is always kind of prominent. So I really enjoyed that, uh, the first couple of tracks, you know, as you stated, but also towards the, the ends of the, um, towards the end of the record, you have also some really good songs. I wonder if the last track called Light, I wonder if it was on purpose, but there, like in the sense of, in the sense of, you know, saying light is always at the end, like light at the end of the tunnel, you know. I, I might be, yeah, I might be totally wrong, but it kind of made sense to me while I was uh, listening to the record. Uh, the track that I would absolutely highlight here is the track Hero, because it describes the racial abuse that people still face in, a, in such a straightforward and even brutal way, I would say. It, it's such a good song, and also the instrumental arrangements, nothing to, to, to complain about there. So he is still going strong with his songwriting. But I have to say that even though the music is good, I thought that it was kind of a step back compared to the previous two records. For some reason, you have those grooves, 
You have those. No way, no way. I would say so, man. I would say no so. Way. And also, I thought that his, no. I also thought that his singing was kind of different this time. Totally incorrect. Totally. Okay, can you elaborate? Okay, so I'm joking a bit. But yeah, I don't agree with you because I think that he's been adding more elements here, you know, and uh, I feel like it's a very natural continuation from the previous record, but he decided to add some more stuff, especially those more uh, rock-sounding guitars, riffs. That that was something that was already present on the previous record, but here he really flashes that out. So I think it's definitely a plus for me. And I think he does retain everything from the previous two records here. Like, the okay, the first record, first of all, is a pastiche record, in my opinion. And it's not as good as the other two. It's sim- it, it simply isn't that good. It's, it's a good record. It may have some tracks that are on par with the best tunes here. But overall, it, it just doesn't have that kind of ferocity of the other two records. Okay, maybe you're right, maybe you're not. I think that music critics have said kind of the same thing, that he kind of matured and formed his sound better with the other two records. But I'm not sure. Maybe I'll kind of switch my side uh, once I start listening to this kind of music more often, or when I start listening to Michael Kiwanuka more often. Still, I have to, I'm kind of staying on the lyrical side because I've just taken a look another look to be precise at the track listing here and i just remember that some of the tracks were just really really good in terms of uh sending the the message and speaking openly about the treatment of some people nowadays a lot of so i'm kind of sticking with that but maybe i just need more time to kind of get more accustomed to his music and before we wrap this up I want to say that Danger Mouse was also here the instrumentalist on soundtracks. That is, like he was a guitarist here, and he was also the, the keyboardist uh, on soundtracks. Lada. Uh yeah, and um, I feel you know you have a lot of these people who, like me, love old music, and as, if they're a bit older, they tend to be very dismissive of modern music, unfortunately, and and. They think that there's no great musicianship out there. But this guy and many others, by the way, completely proved them wrong. The problem is that people don't necessarily want to invest their time into music like this, which I think is the problem today. Everybody wants something snappy, something fast, super commercial. And and this, while this guy is definitely uh, hugely popular, he also requires maybe a bit more attention you know maybe a bit more love and he has the chops he has great guitar skills are you sure that he's hugely popular yeah i think i mean relatively speaking he is quite popular i would say um but he's definitely not i don't know shakira that's not what i'm saying anyway I also yeah wanted- that's what i was wondering I wanted to touch upon what I was saying about uh, the first record and the other two to explain it a bit further. So when I say that the first record is a pastiche record, what I mean is that 
it basically more or less copies a certain style that's old, that's retro, that's that has already been done many times. And he does it in a very nice, you may say, even original way, but it's still a pastiche record. But the other two, and especially this one, the third one, they really exemplify his own personal musical expression for better or worse. That's why I think they have a certain edge over the first record. Okay, so let's be clear. You think that this record is kind of the most original record and the most authentic record that he's made so far? Uh, yes, definitely. And I also think the second one is also very authentic. I think that he really goes for the juggler on those two records. And um, it seems like the getting Danger Mouse as the producer did him well, that it allowed him more freedom I read somewhere that uh, he wrote most of the first record on the acoustic guitar, but then for the second one, he used the electric guitar and uh, other instruments, which really shows in, in the music, which is more diverse, which breeds more, which is more exciting for the listener. Yeah, and in regards to Danger Mouse, uh, in that interview that I watched about uh, Michael Kiwanuka, he even called uh, Danger Mouse a legend of his, of his generation. So that's that's a pretty pretty high accomplishment, I would say. Okay, and finally, I think if Michael happens to listen to this podcast, he would probably be very happy with your with your rating, Amara, in the sense of I think that he actually wanted this record to be the most authentic one, the most about himself kind of record. If I if I can use that expression, it's it's kind of funny, right? So anyway. Let's get straight to the ratings, uh, unless you, Vlada, have something to add here. If not, you can give us your rating and your standard track. Okay, so my rating for this one is 8, and my standout track, I think for now it will be rolling, but it might change. All right, um, my rating, I'm kind of undecided here. I'm torn between 7 and 7.5. Just for the originality and for all the personal elements here, I'll give it a 7.5. And the standard track is without any doubt Hero, a very, very straightforward track. I definitely recommend everyone to, to give it a listen. So, yeah, that's it. Vlada, your final word for Michael Kiwanuka. Uh, a very interesting young artist. Fantastic musician, obviously. It's always great to hear people like that getting their shot and making records and getting some kind of exposure. A true music professional, but also very soulful a songwriter, very introspective. There's a lot to be loved here, and I think that he's kind of a hit or miss for some people. You may instantly fall in love with him or you may just not get it. I think that he's, he's that kind of musician that breeds a lot of um, divisions, so to say. Yeah. What, what, what do you say? Okay, Vlada, I second what you've just said and I'm really happy that we had the chance to cover this artist, um, I follow Danger Mouse on social media and he often promotes Michael Kiwanuka. So finally, I got the chance to kind of delve into his work and explore his uh, his, his kind of art. And it was a pleasant surprise, to say the least. I'll definitely go back to him. You know, I really enjoyed 
the first record, as he said, but uh, I'll give the other two records uh, another chance. Uh, no worries about that. Now, I have to ask you one question, which is kind of related to the overall content on our show. We've done some artists that are new age, that are modern, and that, that kind of like to pay tribute to old music, to the 60s or to the 70s, like Tame Impala and Jack White. Would you put, in terms of paying tribute to old legends, would you put Michael Kiwanuki in the same kind of category? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, what all these people do is basically they're just relying on the music that they grew up listening to, you know. And that's fine. I mean, that's how it is with music. You know, nowadays you have some bands that kind of sound post-punk. Then you have other musicians who find inspiration in the 60s, in the 70s, and so on. And what I like about this guy is that he seems to draw his inspiration from many different places. You know, you hear a nice jazzy chord. Then you have a nice soulful part. Then you have horn arrangements. Then you have... A, a Jimi Hendrix-like guitar solo, or I don't know. He's just all over the place, and I really love that. And he definitely pays tribute to all these artists, but he does not try to be them. That's important. Okay, another another impression from my side is that I'm not sure if it's if it's true, but even though he's British and he speaks British English, obviously, I kind of feel that in some songs he tried to maybe copy those American soul artists. He, he had a, a little bit of an American accent. Did you have the same impression? Uh, honestly, I don't pay attention to it, but I think when it comes to British soul, I mean, a lot of British soul singers, some of the most famous ones, do try to sound American in a sense because that's what they got directly influenced by you know also you know if you listen to british invasion bands like blues bands and the rolling stones and others whenever they do a, a blues tune they do try to sound more american rather than british so i think that's normal and natural and it's nothing spectacularly new here uh so i i didn't really pay attention to this to be honest but i, I get where you're coming from like, uh, you know, Dusty Springfield, who is, who happens to be one of my favorite soul singers of all time. She was British and she also sounded kind of American when she did some of those songs, you know, especially Son of a Preacher Man, for example. So, yeah, I think that's normal. Yeah, that's a positive influence. It's not like Michael wanted to copy anyone or or, or wanted to sound like someone, but yeah. There you go. So, dear listeners, um, thanks a lot for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this new setup that we have, this new microphone. I'm really looking forward to um, producing more and more content. I mean, we are actually uh, very motivated for continuing our work. Thanks to our Patreon community, first and foremost, but also thanks to all of our fans on social media that like to engage with our posts and our quizzes and so on. So be happy to join our Patreon community, Sunrise Pod. It's easy to find. Uh, you can explore all the, all the tiers there and see all the benefits that come with it. Uh, we are also about to arrange our monthly Patreon polls, so we're expecting some really good ideas from our dear patrons, and we are definitely looking forward to talking about some of those bands. 
uh, actually the band that our patrons will uh, will decide on. So thanks again, all the best, and see you next week. Write a review, and then you can share it. With the world. In any social media platform. And then your friends see it, and you can share and discover new shows together. This is Steph, instigator of Pod Rev Day, Podcast Review Day. And I'm Andy from Inspired Money. And I'm Arielle of Earbuds Podcast Collective and CastBox. We're here to tell you everything you need to know about Pod Rev Day. Which is on the 8th of every month, of every year, of every century, of every... You get it. We are posting podcast reviews as part of hashtag Pod Rev Day, Podcast Review Day. Because podcasters work their butts off and deserve to know how much they've impacted your lives. And you can do that through reviews. Even one star feels surprisingly <laughs> good. Does it? It lets you know that people are at least listening. Don't be a passive podcast listener. Write a review and tell your favorite creator what you love about their podcast or about a specific episode. And to participate, you just need to do one review. And we'll see you every eighth of the month. Pod Rev Day. Because podcasters deserve to hear it. Hashtag Pod Rev Day. P-O-D-R-E-V-D-A-Y.